Thank you, Hal. Looking forward to a uh, an exciting uh, service this morning. We have uh, many things to address. Well, not many things, but we have a great subject. We're going to be working our way through a uh, a doctrine that is critical to the the church as a whole, and absolutely critical to the individual believer. So uh, we look forward to that. But prior to that, we need to be prepared spiritually, and our spiritual pre- uh, preparation comes by way of a few seconds of uh, silent prayer. It's your opportunity for uh, confession of sin and also to relax and uh, bring yourself to a point where you are ready to... Uh, uh, worship God the Son and uh, also be edified by what we do today. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That passage is important to us as we begin our study of spiritual gifts. So let's take a few seconds, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and then I will open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're continually amazed at the grace that you have given to us. We often overlook that grace. We often are fixed on our own abilities, our own successes. But we have to realize that we cannot take a breath without your supervision, without you allowing it. And we're thankful, Father, that not only are you the God of the universe, but you're our God, a personal God, one that indwells us as well as your Son, who is our Redeemer, and God the Holy Spirit, who is our parakletos, as the Greek says, which is our helper. And we're thankful for the remarkable plan that you have for us individually and also for our church family and for our nation. Father, we pray as we delve into this subject of spiritual gifts. Help us to understand the importance of them, why they were instituted, and how that affects us personally in our spiritual lives. We ask for your blessing upon our service this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Hal. Great song. I don't know about you, but after being here on Sunday, uh, when we had our piano playing, and now as we play these videos, uh, these songs stay with me during the week. I find myself humming them. If I have my hymn book at hand, I'll uh, open that hymn book and sing from it. And I think it's encouraging. It helps us to remain oriented on our spiritual lives. The, The songs are I think not only does the music stay with you, but then the the words. And as you think about them, 
it's uh, enhancing for your spiritual life. As a matter of fact, uh, very often when I'm walking, I'll find myself humming the songs, maybe singing them to myself, whistling. Uh, I know that whistling now is considered to be an act of contagion, that you can pass your whatever you have to someone else. As a matter of fact, I was confronted by someone that said, you know, you're uh, blowing the virus around. I said, yeah, I'm trying to keep it away from me. So, well, I didn't say that, and that's not exactly how he said it, but it was sort of how he approached it. But today we have a remarkable subject, spiritual gifts. We'll read the first nine verses in 1 Corinthians First Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. But we are going to start a special subject, uh, that special subject being spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts is a critical subject. Many people, yeah, I know, spiritual gifts, not a big deal. And for those who are inclined to serve, to participate, it really isn't. Uh, for others, it's a problem. You know, the, how can I determine my spiritual gift? And there's should be an understanding that you should be relaxed about your spiritual gift. And as we pursue this topic, I hope that you'll have a better understanding of what these spiritual gifts are, how they function. And very often there are people who would say, well, you know, I've pretty got a, I have a pretty good handle on spiritual gifts. Well, every time you review certain doctrines in the Bible, God the Holy Spirit helps you to understand them better and even apply them better and maybe even help others with those subjects. And spiritual gifts is something that is not, uh, as I open my opening prayer, it's not only important to you personally, but it's it's really critical to the church. And there are many churches that struggle because the those who have certain spiritual gifts are not participating. Let's turn, as I have here, 1 Corinthians. This is the Apostle Paul, thankful for these churches to whom Paul wrote. Uh, some of them, uh, he praised them, uh, he encouraged them, and others, these books, these epistles, these letters, were designed to teach, correct, admonish. And so 1 Corinthians, while many of my fellow pastors more or less are highly critical of the Corinthians, the book is in the canon of Scripture because we need it. It's not there for us to be judgmental about the Corinthians. It's to help us to understand how we can be more honoring to God, more spiritual in our lives. And uh, the Corinthians uh, did not have unique problems. We have many of the same. First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. We've studied these first uh, nine verses, but it's the background for our study. Paul called, commissioned to be an apostle. This is his spiritual gift. An apostle of Jesus Christ through the will, through the providence of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God 
which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ, positional sanctification, who are believers in Christ Jesus, called, summoned to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, calling meaning that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Redeemer. It's important for us to review that process. And the process is is that we don't earn our salvation. Uh, We can't work for our salvation. Uh, You can't live a life that is um, moral and therefore uh, you deserve to be saved. No, none of that applies. We're all fallen, and it doesn't make any difference whether you are severely sinful or if you think you have very few failures. Uh, You still are fallen. You still have a sin nature, and that controls your life. But once you understand God's provision of grace through the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross... And believe that he, in fact, died for you, paid for the guilt of your sins. Then you have a relationship with God. And it's a grace procedure. Believing, not working, believing, trusting in what God has done for you. Salvation is so simple. It's so easy. And yet it can be so difficult for some. And unfortunately, it's difficult for us to communicate it. To, to others. And that should be one of the things that we should pray. We pray for opportunities to give the gospel, as we say, to others uh, so that we can have an impact in this fallen world. But here we have verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you all for the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ so that, or because, it's probably a better translation, because you all were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, and that is our subject. Those are spiritual gifts. You were, in order that you were, or because you were enhanced in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, with the result that you come short in no one gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, this is verse 8, will also confirm you to the end. In other words, through the church age, through the end, meaning until the rapture occurs that you may be blameless. Uh, We would say um, that you could, not that you're going to be sinless, but that you will be spiritually mature in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful. God is faithful to us. He promises that he will return, and we look forward to that day. But we must be faithful to him. God is certainly faithful to us. God is faithful by whom you were called, you were summoned, you were invited into this fellowship, the Christian life of his son, 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right. Now, spiritual gifts. Uh, one of the things that we must immediately understand is why spiritual gifts? Why not just talents? Why not just abilities? The word spiritual is a clue to us about this topic. Being spiritual is not possible prior to salvation. Therefore, a spiritual gift is given to you post-salvation. And it is a gift. It's a gift that's given to you. Now, as we pursue this subject, and uh, when I initially uh, began to pull it together for this Sunday, I realized that there's a lot of information uh, that needs to be communicated about this. And uh, we may not finish this subject today. But first of all, let's see the biblical doctrine of spiritual gifts. Every now and then we just say it's a doctrine. Uh, Doctrine simply means teaching. But we should really associate that with the Word of God, the Bible. And so this is a biblical doctrine of spiritual gifts. And we are pulling this from the first chapter, or it's initiating our study. Uh, However, this is a topic that's going to be addressed by the Apostle Paul in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Is it an important subject? Absolutely. The Corinthians were having trouble with these spiritual gifts, their spiritual gifts, and therefore Paul addresses it right up front in chapter 1 about spiritual gifts. Uh, But there are going to be other uh, challenging topics for the Corinthians, uh, and he'll address those uh, in more detail as we work our way through uh, the book. In other words, the Apostle Paul knew that the first thing he needed to do was to bring that congregation to a point where he could speak about spiritual gifts. There were divisions. There were all kinds of problems within that congregation. And he needed to bring them to a point where he could now teach them some of these topics. All right. Now, we'll begin with definition. Some of these points will be somewhat lengthy. And I'll go through them, hopefully, in a way that you're able to either take notes or um, assimilate it so that uh, it has a, a spiritual impact. First of all, definition. A spiritual gift. That's the subject. So what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a talent, ability, or an aptitude, we could say, Sovereignly given, the biblical term or the way that we normally approach this, we say that it was bestowed upon us. But given is probably an easier way to understand this. Sovereignly given to every believer. You have a spiritual gift. Um, There are those who would say, great, glad that I have this spiritual gift. And there's others saying, you know, I'm not so sure that's uh, uh, beneficial to me. Well, it can be. 
And we'll see that as we function in our spiritual gift, we're blessed. Now, who would prefer not to be blessed? So functioning in your spiritual gift, and you may not know what it is. I'm giving you a lot of information here prior to as we list them categorically. You may not know what it is, but you could very easily and probably are functioning in that gift even without knowing it. So it's an ability, it's a talent, an aptitude sovereignly given to every believer in the church age by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. At the moment means instantaneously. It's not something that happens over a period of time. It doesn't take a full minute for God the Holy Spirit to to, uh, extend this to us. The spiritual gift is designed to perform a particular service in and for the body of Christ. Uh, we have Romans 12, 6 through 8 here. We also have the entire uh, chapter of 1 Corinthians, which I've not placed up here. We have Ephesians 4, 11 and following. We also have Hebrews 2, 4. Uh, I'm not going to turn to those. We'll uh, have the opportunity to see those verses as we uh, uh proceed through the the doctrine. This spiritual gift, the one that is given to you, and you, by the way, uh, generally will have one. Uh, it's possible that you could have more than one. Uh, most of us have a, one gift, and uh, working within that gift uh, keeps us busy. Uh, but there's others who have uh, more than one gift, And each congregation, uh, depending upon God the Holy Spirit's decision, his sovereign decision, bestows, gives those gifts to us so that he fills in, hopefully, the gaps here and there. If it's a small congregation or if it's a large congregation, you may need many spiritual gifts uh, in those congregations. So the spiritual gift was supernaturally bestowed given at the moment of salvation, which means, and the point I've made, which means it was not a gift or a talent that you had prior to salvation, and that now that you're saved, you can use it for God. So a spiritual gift is something that's given to you after salvation. Now, that raises a lot of questions. People would say, yeah, but man, you know, I'm really a great teacher, or... Uh, I could play the piano prior to being saved. And I'm pretty sure that playing the piano, music is my spiritual gift. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. This is an important point, And it's also difficult to understand. But as we work our way through this, I think you, it'll be more clear to you. If a person has a gift such as teaching, it is possible that God the Holy Spirit will reinforce it with a spiritual gift of teaching. But also, that is just as likely not to happen. Teachers do not necessarily need to teach. Accountants don't necessarily need to be treasurers. Contractors do not necessarily need to be on the building committee. They will gravitate to that naturally, but that may not, very, that may not be where their spiritual gift functions. Great to have him on or her on the building committee, 
But you know what? Their spiritual gift may very well be hospitality. And that's where they really shine. The gift is given for the edification of the body of believers, not for an individual to demonstrate their talents, their abilities. Therefore, it is highly probable that if you're not involved in a local church, your spiritual gift is not functioning. And that's hard for some people to understand. And it's hard for them to accept. But we'll see as we proceed that spiritual gifts are designed to edify the church. And again, there are those who would say, well, you know, I've found a way to use my spiritual gift outside the church. Well, uh, that's not what the Bible says. Let me just leave it there. The Bible says it's to edify other members of the church. It's not even your spiritual gift isn't to edify you. Now, you may grow spiritually while you are applying your spiritual gift. And that's wonderful. You know, I'd have to say that a pastor uh, who has a communication gift is going to grow spiritually as he studies. But you'll notice I said as he studies, his gift is communication. Spiritual gifts are given apart from human merit, ability, or talent and become operationally effective in the normal process of spiritual growth. Your spiritual growth, your spiritual gift is there at the instant of salvation. And it very well may begin in its infancy, begin to be applied. But as you grow spiritually, it continues to grow with you. And you're uh, more effective as you grow spiritually. But spiritual gifts are not the means of spiritual growth and are not a measure of spirituality. Some people might say, well, uh, he's an evangelist, great spiritual individual. Well, there may very well be somebody in the congregation who eclipses them in their spirituality. And what are they doing? Well, they may be working in administration. So... The gift is not the measure of spirituality. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Chapter 13, 1 Corinthians, uh, is a remarkable chapter. Uh, used very often for weddings. I use it. Um, honestly, it's probably used a little out of context. But it seems to have a wonderful message and, of course, when we read the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, um, often people would, oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that sweet? Isn't that just endearing? Yes, it is. But uh, that's not necessarily why it was here. 1 Corinthians 13 says, the, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking, Though I speak with the tongues of men, languages of men, and angels. Isn't that interesting? He throws in angels. Speak with the language of angels. So we see that Paul here is being, I think, a little bit sarcastic. Though I speak with the languages of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, 
I am nothing. What is he saying? As I said, First Thessalonians 13 is, sang- is sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14, chapters that really do teach about spiritual gifts. And it's there because chapter 13 is the expression of love of the believer, of other believers through their spiritual gift. In other words, what he's saying, uh, even though I may have certain spiritual gifts, but I'm not using my spiritual gift out of love. It's a wasted gift if you're just doing it for your own approbation. And by the way, the gift of languages was considered to be highly impressive. Well, that's not the reason that the gift of languages was given. It wasn't to exalt the individual who had the gift. It was given so that they could edify other believers. It didn't, it didn't bring them any merit of their own. So chapter 13 tells us that the expression of love of the, of the believer for other believers through spiritual gifts, serving others, is important. We are not to be arrogant about our spiritual gift, but use it in love, out of compassion for others. All right. Well, point one, this is sort of the introduction. It's the, the groundwork for getting us started. We'll have our next point here is going to be biblical terms. And some of these terms are easy to see. The context helps us, even though it's not the word gift. So our first term, spiritual. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. We're very close here. When the Apostle Paul decides he's, he's going to uh, bear down on spiritual gifts, he begins in chapter 12, verse 1. And this, this verse, this word, emphasizes the source and the nature of the gift. And I've already given you sort of a prelude to that by saying that these gifts, these talents, these talents come to you in a spiritual manner from God the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, now concerning spiritual gifts. The word gifts is not there, but the context tells us that it belongs. It's the understanding of what Paul is going to be addressing. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now he's not calling him stupid. He's saying you don't have the correct knowledge. Or if you were taught, you seem to have misplaced that teaching. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uh, uninformed. So this is what we have here. It emphasizes the source and the, and the nature of the gift, that it relates to the spiritual life of the believer. The word is taken from the word spirit, pneuma, which relates to the source of the gift, God the Holy Spirit. So this is our first, this is an important word because it launches Paul's teaching in chapter 12, 13, and 14. Secondly, gift, charisma, 1 Corinthians 12, 4. We can stay very close to our context here, 1 Corinthians 12. 
But gift emphasizes the grace nature of the gift. It's a gift given to you. And we should receive the knowledge and the ability, our gift, understanding that comes to us by grace. It's something that God is giving us uh, in a grace manner. And charisma is our word. 1 Corinthians 12.4 There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit gifts. Here we are. Gift. Charisma. Paul uses it here. The gifts are not based on any merit in the believer. In some believers, the spiritual gift may enhance some natural ability. Talent might have a talent or an inclination. In others, it might not. You know, there's, we do not know how God uh, disperses gifts. Uh, we don't know. We can't look in the soul to see uh, what is lodged there spiritually. What we know is what Paul, First Peter teaches us. But sometimes we just have to um, apply what is happening also in our lives. Uh, in others, it may not. It may not be some natural ability. Some may have a natural ability to teach. And then God, the Holy Spirit, gives them the ability to teach, which means they have an extra measure of teaching ability. In others, their gift may be completely unrelated to uh, what they do, to their natural talents. Now, there's going to be some repetition as we go forward, simply because uh, repetition helps us to to learn. But also, saying something several different ways also answers questions that uh, may arise. Then, another word here that we'll see in Hebrews 2.4 is the word for distribution. This word is going to emphasize the distribution. Another word that we could use is allocation, uh, the division of gifts. So we have these words, allocation, allotment is another one, another word we could use. So as we turn, I can tell I'm not going to be in a hurry, distribution, emphasizing the distribution, the allocation or the division of gifts. Hebrews 2, this is the author of Hebrews speaking about the communication of the gospel, but also the participation of believers in the church. And he says in verse 4, God, and this is God the Father, also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders. So he gave these gifts to individuals so that they could use them, signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's our word. Uh, Our editor here, I think in other English translations, use the word gifts as well. But we could say this is the di- and distri- dist- uh, distribution to his own will, not our will. We may have uh, developed uh, a particular skill, uh, and we enjoy using that. But that may not be your 
your spiritual gift. And the word here for gifts, again, can be used for distribution, for allocation, and it can even be used for apportionment is another way to use this word. Uh, This means that not everyone has the same spiritual gift. God the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts so that each local church has the ability, has the capability that is needed for the church to properly function. And as I say properly function, I could easily say is is properly edified because we learn from each other. Sometimes it's just observing them. And we realize that they have a gift, and it could very well be compassion, helps, uh, ready to help someone, hospitality. Uh, These are some of the gifts that we may even discount, but it may very well be one of the more important those gifts may be more important than other gifts. So the word gift is not found here, but the word apportionment or division of the Holy Spirit is found. And I think a translation there, uh, distribution, is probably uh, an excellent translation. And we'll see that not only is God the Holy Spirit involved here, but all of the members of the, the Godhead, the Trinity, are involved. Uh, but what we very often see is that God the Holy Spirit is more often mentioned when we speak of spiritual gifts, and therefore we, we more or less attribute to him the functioning, the assistance, the help um, of spiritual gifts. All right, point three. Here we go. We'll try to march along a little quicker here. Point three. Spiritual gifts are unique to the church age. Something we need to remember. Spiritual gifts are unique to the church age. We can see this in Ephesians 4.8. A statement here that some would not accept readily is that no spiritual gifts were given prior to the church age. So spiritual gifts are unique to the church age. No spiritual gifts were given prior to the day of Pentecost. And no spiritual gifts are given after the rapture of the church. So we, believers, members of the church, body of Christ, have this wonderful opportunity to serve. It's not as if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then we're on our own. God the Holy Spirit has given us a spiritual gift so that we can serve. Serve uh, the Lord Jesus Christ who redeemed us, the body of Christ. No spiritual gifts were given to the Gentiles during the age of the Gentiles. No spiritual gifts were given to Israel during the age of Israel. No spiritual gifts are given to anyone during the dispensation of the Messiah or the millennium. Though some might say prophecy. Well, it wasn't their prophecy. And some performed miracles. These were sovereign, supernatural endowments related to their function during that dispensation. But they're not called spiritual gifts. Yes, there were prophets. And yes, miracles were done. But those were 
special abilities that that individual had to accomplish their responsibility. Uh, We read very often that someone like David, or we could even say Saul, was filled with the Spirit. Well, that gift, we could say, or that apportionment was to help them do a particular responsibility, to be king. A prophet uh, might have to perform a miracle to get someone's attention. But again, uh, that wasn't to edify a group of people that were there. It was simply to establish a uh, his authority, maybe. Spiritual gifts were not classified or called spiritual gifts. By definition, a spiritual gift is a gift of God the Holy Spirit given at the instant, uh, the instant of salvation to every church-age believer. There are no spiritual gifts before the cross. We just need to understand that, that as members of the body of Christ in the church age, we have a special dispensation given to us because we're, and the way of approaching that is because we're members of the body of Christ. We're members of the body of Christ, a foot, an ear, an eye, a nose, some more attractive than others. But it functions in a way that, maybe I should change the word function there, but it operates so that the body functions properly, effectively. Remove a leg, a lot tougher, an ear, lose your hearing. So we're there to help the proper functioning, effective functioning of the body of Christ. Four, spiritual gifts originated at the ascension of Christ and the function during his current session. We're going to turn to Ephesians 4, 7, 8. This is important. Spiritual gifts originated at the ascension of Christ. The body of Christ was not in place prior to the church age, prior to the Lord Jesus Christ's ascension. So spiritual gifts originated at the ascension of Christ and function during his current session. The word session there is probably more of a theological term. Uh, session means a period. Um, we would say we have a, cl- a class session, a class period, um, a class term when it's uh, in in uh, session, in power. So Ephesians 4, let's go back to Ephesians 4. We'll be in and, and out of Ephesians 4. But Ephesians 4, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesians. The Ephesians well, was a church at Ephesus in the what we call today uh, Asia Minor, Turkey. Then it was the Roman province of Asia. It was a town uh, where the Apostle Paul really wanted to go to um, establish a church. And after he did uh, establish a church there on his third missionary journey, he, um, I think, almost took up residence there. That's where his headquarters was. And so he's writing to the Ephesians, and he says to each one of us, grace was given. And the grace here, Chorus, is a reference to a gift, to spiritual gifts. Um, the Apostle Paul expresses it that way. To each one of us, 
grace, a spiritual gift was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, God's sovereign decision, his choice. Therefore, he says, and this is, now he's going to quote uh, a passage from the Old Testament. This happens to be um, Psalm 68. Psalm 68, 18 is a reference to uh, a, 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 a king who is distributing gifts to those in his um, his region. So he says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts to men. So when Paul uses this passage from the Old Testament, he's not using it in the context that David used it. He's taking that and now giving it a new context here, and he's using it for spiritual gifts. When he, God the Son, ascended on high. In other words, Paul is saying when the Lord Jesus Christ departed from earth, the disciples standing there watching him depart, he led captive, he led captivity captive. And we believe that it was at that point where he emptied the compartment of Sheol, or the Hebrew, Hades, New Testament, that compartment which is also known as Abraham's bosom, paradise. He empties that of the believers and takes them with him to heaven. So he he leads them, he leads captivity captive, and gives gifts to men, spiritual gifts. Uh, so Paul uses this passage to help us to understand that this is the beginning of the spiritual gifts distribution. It wasn't prior to that. It was at this time. Um, one of the purpose of God uh, in the present church age is the preparation of the bride for the Lord Jesus Christ's return. We are considered, as members of the body of Christ, we're considered the bride. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is considered the groom. And there's going to be a marriage. But prior to the Lord Jesus Christ's return uh, in the air, the rapture, there needs to be a preparation of the bride. We are the bride and so these spiritual gifts help to edify us so that we are prepared for the return of the groom. These believers will rule and reign with him in the millennial kingdom. They will have a resurrection body and their rewards will be associated with their service during the millennium. So uh, we don't say that there are spiritual gifts given during the, the millennium. They were given prior to the uh, uh, the millennial kingdom will be in a resurrection. Will have been given uh, rewards, and some of those rewards will be positions where we will be assigned in the millennial kingdom in our resurrection bodies. Um, let me read. I liked this footnote in the uh, Nelson's Study Bible, uh, page 
1987, the editors provided us with two footnotes for chapter 4, verse 7. Like Peter, Paul taught that all Christians have a spiritual gift or gifts. The gifts are given sovereignly by the ascended Christ in order to build up the church. Thus, the body of Christ is to function like a machine in which every part is essential for getting a job done. But unlike a machine, the body of Christ should maintain itself and build every one of its members so that they can do good works. Verse 8, footnote. Paul quotes Psalm 68, 18 to picture the ascended Messiah triumphant over Satan and his host, distributing spiritual gifts to his people. The faithful, the faithful stewardship of our, of our gifts on earth will determine our position of service in Christ's messianic reign. So these understanding what the Lord Jesus Christ did and what he's doing now is a reflection on our future. The Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And while he is seated, he is observing us. He's supporting us. He's providing for us. But he's also observing us. How are we serving him? We belong to him. We are bond servants. We have been graced. We have been given a gift. Are we using it? Do we care? This is an important bit of knowledge for us as we live during the church age. Now, this is not easy. Uh, there are so many distractions. Satan is ingenious, probably the most intelligent creature, and he can bring distractions into our lives. And those distractions can be our job. It can be an illness. It can be another person, the climate, whatever it is that's going to affect us. He knows. He observes. He's been, he's been observing for more than 6,000 years. But we need to be faithful. We need to persevere in our spiritual lives. Our spiritual lives are so critical. And our spiritual lives really should be a blessing to us. And as we grow spiritually, we have a stronger love and therefore a stronger love for the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. Uh, this is as far as we'll go um, today. Next week, well, this one's out of place. We'll talk about the all three members of the Trinity who are involved in this. Uh, again, we often try to assign a specific responsibility to a particular member of the Trinity. But all members of the Trinity are involved in every facet of the universe, our spiritual lives, church, uh, everything. So, But the point I was trying to make um, is that it's critical for us to realize that there is a, there is a resistance uh, in the world today that is designed to distract us attempts to distract us from our spiritual lives. And that's why it's important for us to pray, read our Bibles, remember confession of sins continually. Uh, another one of our points we're going to say, 
uh, we're going to we'll see is that when we're out of fellowship, we are we're not only carnal, but we are serving Satan, not the Lord. And it's important for us throughout our life, our daily life, to be in fellowship, realizing. And I don't know for you, but for me, it's easy to tell when I'm out of fellowship. Something happens. I'm irritated by it. I'm frustrated by it. Got to bounce back. So uh, what we've studied so far is these spiritual gifts. They are designed to assist us in our spiritual lives, to assist us in our spiritual lives as we relate to other members of the the body of Christ as we serve. Uh, Service is uh, a very important uh, factor in our spiritual lives. Let's close our, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful that the Word of God teaches us about spiritual gifts, particularly the Apostle Paul in Corinthians. And while we're not in the meat of spiritual gifts yet, it's so important to us individually as believers. We serve. We serve others. We should have a compassion and a desire to be uh, effective within the body of Christ. And therefore, Father, help us to uh, have a desire to serve. Uh, We may not know exactly uh, what our gift is, but simply desiring to serve. God the Holy Spirit will direct us into uh, that ability. We ask also, Father, for us to remember that the first grace gift that was given to us is our Lord Jesus Christ, the indescribable gift. And we're thankful for his, uh, for your love, for his willingness to go to the cross. And we're thankful that he is our redeemer. Uh, And if there's anyone who might be listening to this message uh, who is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told that uh, in order to be saved, the Apostle Paul speaks to the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And the Apostle Paul simply says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, meaning his finished sacrificial work on the cross of paying for our sins. And therefore, it's very simple, simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. We're thankful again for the text of Scripture. We're thankful for this opportunity for this church to gather. And we pray, Father, that we will be edified by it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.